Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this morning. What a gift it is that we are here. What a gift it is that we get to hold your word in our hands. What a treasure that we have words that your son Jesus spoke while he walked on this earth. We thank you for that. And God, I pray this morning as we, as we look at the words that he spoke, that our hearts would truly be open. As your son Jesus said, that those who have ears to hear would hear. And God, that is our prayer this morning, that we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us. May we walk out of this place knowing that you truly are the most valuable thing in our lives. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, what if, what if I told you that somewhere in this room, there's a hidden envelope? What, you're not excited yet? (laughs) What if I told you that whoever finds that envelope gets to keep it and keep what's inside it? Still nothing. Okay, a couple of you reaching under your chairs like, I don't want anybody to notice, but... I'm reaching for it. Chances are you probably aren't going to get up and go looking for it, right? Pretty, pretty slim chance of that happening. Because you don't know what's in it, right? You don't know what's in the envelope, so you're not going to risk making a fool of yourself to, to find it. But what if I told you that hidden in that envelope, there was a crisp, I mean like hot off the press, $1 bill? Oh, a few more hands. I see it. I see you reaching for it, right? Would that be enough for, like, pandemonium to ensue? Like, clearly, clearly not. You're all still sitting there like, okay, you've got to up the ante a little bit here. What if it was $100? Okay, I just saw a few of our, our middle school students' eyes light up. What if it was $1,000? What if it was $100,000? No, let's make it a million. Right, million dollars. There's a million dollars in an envelope hidden in the room. At what point would you say, I don't care what the people around me think. I'm going to find that envelope. At what point would you throw restraint to the wind and just go, I'm gonna, I'll apologize later, but get out of my way. I'm looking, right? Hopefully you wouldn't, right? You're in church. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> I should probably clarify right now that there is no hidden envelope. Because <laughs> some of you are like, I'm going for it, right? I know, you thought I put a million dollars in an envelope here in the sanctuary. Took it out of my bank account this morning. So, well, here's another question. Here's another question. How far would you be willing to go to protect the life of someone you love? What price would you be willing to pay? To save the life of a a brother or sister, a, a parent or a child? What would you do to save your spouse? I think it's pretty clear that we would be willing to sacrifice a whole lot more to save the ones we love than we would for a for a hidden envelope here in the room, right? So why is it? Why is it that the same person who would be willing to throw themselves in front of a moving truck to save a child? won't even swerve their vehicle to miss a squirrel. 
Why? Well, the answer is, is pretty obvious, I think. It's a, it's a matter of value, right? You clearly value the life of the child more than the squirrel. Although there are some of you, I think, who put your lives in danger to swerve to miss a chipmunk. That is true. I, my wife, it might be one of those. She's like, when I hit one, it's like she thinks I hit a child. I don't know. I'm like, it's not my fault. He, he didn't know which way to go. And I tried. He's, it's his fault. What value do we place on the thing that is in danger? That's what determines what we're willing to pay, right? So what value do I place on my reputation that I would be willing to embarrass myself to get up and search for something? What value do I place on the life of the squirrel or the passengers in my car? What value do I place on the life of my children? Here's a question for you. What value do you place on your relationship with God? How valuable is that to you? You see, every time we are faced with a decision between two different options, we make a determination and we act accordingly. It's a determination based on value. And sometimes we make these decisions in a split second, right? It takes no time at all to make that decision. Other times we find ourselves agonizing over these decisions. This morning we're going to take a look at two short parables that Jesus spoke to his disciples. They're <clears throat> parables about the value of being in God's kingdom. See, according to Jesus, according to Jesus, there is nothing more valuable than our relationship with God. There's nothing more valuable than being part of his kingdom. As I was thinking about our graduates, you know, getting ready to launch into the next chapter of their lives, I wanted to remind them this morning, and, and, and really all of us, that knowing Jesus and being a part of his kingdom is the most valuable thing in the world. Because you're going to be tempted to place that value on so many lesser things. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. So, Matthew 13, and by the way, I just encourage you to read that this week. Uh, Matthew 13 is, um, Jesus has been speaking in parables, and he's been talking to the crowds, and then he's been talking with his disciples in private, kind of going back and forth, and he would speak in parables to the crowds, and then in private, he would explain the parables to his disciples, and then he actually now shares a, a few parables here uh, with his disciples at the end of chapter, uh, at the end of chapter 13. Now, parables are stories that teach a biblical truth. Sometimes they are referred to as earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And as you read through the Gospels, one of the things that you realize or discover is that Jesus often spoke in parables. And according to Jesus, the reason he did that was because parables were veiled enough that those who were not seeking the truth, they wouldn't hear it. Now Jesus, he's just telling some crazy story again. I don't know what he's talking about, right? But for those who, as Jesus said it, had ears to hear, they were able to learn the biblical truth that Jesus was teaching. Well, in Matthew 13, you have seven parables that Jesus gives about the kingdom of heaven. Seven parables about the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to look at two of those here this morning. 
two that he shared privately with his disciples. Matthew 13, 44 to 46, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. If parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, what is the biblical truth that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples in these two parables? Well, I believe it's the same truth for both parables. Jesus is telling them that there is nothing more valuable than being in God's kingdom. And being in God's kingdom is worth giving up everything for. I'll pause just to say this. I think we are pretty ready to accept that first statement. Mentally, we're like, absolutely. There is nothing more valuable than being in God's kingdom. Nothing. The one we're going to choke over, I think, is the second one. Being in God's kingdom is worth giving up everything for. Because immediately in our minds, we start saying, well, depends on what I have to give up. Right? Let's take a closer look at these parables. In both of these parables, Jesus is describing the value of the kingdom of heaven. So the first thing we want to look at is, what is the kingdom of heaven, and why is it so valuable? Simply put, the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. It's God's kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom that is made available to anyone who, by faith, turns to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus began preaching these words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, the Son of God, was inviting people to repent, which means to, to turn away from their sins, to change their way of thinking, and follow Him. Jesus came into the world to set people free from sin and to bring them into His kingdom. He invited them to come and be a part of His kingdom, part of the family of God. In Romans chapter 3, some just really familiar verses here. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we read that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Familiar verse, right? Everyone has sinned. We've all violated God's commands. And consequently, we are all deserving of His punishment for that. In Romans 6, 23, we read that the wages of sin is, is death, right? That's the penalty for sin. But Paul continues and says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? That's good news. You see, through Jesus, our sins can be forgiven and we can have peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we read, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in other words, our sins have been covered by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to bring us back 
into a right relationship with God. Jesus came to bring us into his kingdom. Now, you probably know this verse really well. If you don't, I mean, well, I don't even know. Do they still do this at football games? It used to be at every football game, right? John 3, 16. You'd see it on the, the posters being held up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's good news. The kingdom of heaven is an eternal kingdom that followers of Jesus are brought into. But here's the thing. Not only does uh, the Christian have have a confident hope of eternal life, because that's good news, right? I mean, I've been to several uh, memorial services recently. I've got to tell you, it's good news to know that, thankfully for the ones that I've been to recently, all of them knew Jesus. We have a confident hope of a reunion with them one day in heaven, right? That's exciting. That's great news. But not only do we have hope for eternal life, we also receive freedom now from the power of sin in our lives. I heard Clayton quoting the scriptures to somebody on the way in about that very fact. We are no longer slaves to sin. That's good news. And if you're struggling with sin, you need to, you need to understand that news, right? You are no longer a slave to sin. You've been set free according to Romans chapter 6. Christians become part of the family of God as well. I hope you think that's good news. I love you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. All right, good. Good. Somebody, somebody is happy that they're part of my family. Great. What a gift. What a gift. I love the fact that whenever I travel anywhere in the world, I have an instant family. Isn't that amazing? You can walk into a church when you're traveling. I mean, people come into this church when they're vacationing, and they're like surrounded by family. We're invited into the family of God. Christians also receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Wow. God dwells within those who are His. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the comforter. Aren't you glad you have the comforter in your life? And in addition to all that, in addition to all that, for those who are part of God's kingdom, He gives them spiritual gifts. You have spiritual gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given spiritual gifts. And those gifts are for the building up of his kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. See, not only does Jesus bring us into his kingdom, he equips us with spiritual gifts that we can use to help others become part of his kingdom as well. That's good news. That's a pretty awesome exchange, don't you think? To be part of God's kingdom. Being a part of God's kingdom is so, so valuable. It's like treasure hidden in a field or, or a pearl of great value. There is nothing, nothing more valuable than being in God's kingdom. Second thing we see in these parables that I think is probably worth pointing out is the way, is the way that these valuable treasures were found. Let's take a look. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search 
of fine pearls. You see, in the first parable, you have a treasure that's hidden in a field. Now, this was actually a, a pretty common practice in ancient cultures. We don't do that today, do you? Anybody? I just want to know if you're burying your treasure somewhere in your yard. Anybody? Not going to admit it, huh? You don't trust me. All right. Fair enough. It's not like you had 15 banks that you walked through in town and you could choose which one had the best interest rates. and It wasn't like that. And so it was a very common practice, especially when there was like an invading army encroaching, right? Bury your treasure. Hide it. So nobody else would have it, right? And that worked out pretty well if you survived, right? Because then you could unbury it when you needed it. But if you didn't survive and you hadn't told anybody else about it who survived, then that treasure could stay buried, you know, for generations, right? Likely, I mean, we know through archaeological digs that they're still finding buried treasures, right? So in the first parable, you have this man who who finds a treasure. He's not looking for it. It's not like he's out like a treasure hunter. I'm like, I gotta go find some buried treasure, right? He just sort of stumbles upon it. He finds it. He's not searching. He just finds it. Now, in the second parable, however, there's a merchant who is actively searching for pearls. The merchant knows what he's looking for. He's searching, and when he finds it, he knows what he's going to do, right? Both of these men come across something of, of great, great value, but they find it in different ways. And isn't that true for the way that many of us have come to know Jesus? We've all come to him in different ways, right? Some of you were like the merchant. You were searching for the truth. You were searching for answers. You were seekers, right? You wanted to know the truth about who God is and what he wants for your life. Maybe you were like, like Nicodemus in John chapter 3 who comes to Jesus in the night and he's asking him questions. Help me understand all of this. Or maybe you're more like Zacchaeus, you know? You've heard about Jesus and you want to find out what's going on here, but you're not quite ready to push your way to the front of the crowd, so you climb up in a tree and and watch from a distance, right? But he was seeking the truth, wasn't he? And when he found it, he responded. For others of you, maybe you're you know, more like the one who found the treasure in the field. You weren't really looking for it, but the truth found you. God opened your eyes to the value of his kingdom and you responded. Maybe you were more like the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 who, she's just out getting water, right? And Jesus comes up to her and he presents her with spiritual truth and she responds. Or maybe you're more like the blind, the the man that was born blind in John chapter 9. He's just sitting there. As Jesus is going by, Jesus stops, right? And Jesus heals him. And it's a beautiful story about how this man had this progressive revelation of who Jesus is. How about Peter? Or James and, and John and Andrew? These fishermen, right? Jesus called these fishermen. He comes along the shore and he says, Come and follow me. And in Matthew chapter 4, we read that immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
I think they were just trying to get out of work. You know, <laughs> it's like we're mending the nets and that's a lot of work. We're just going to follow Jesus. No, obviously not. Which leads me to the third point. Being in God's kingdom is worth giving up everything for. Whether you're like the man who was pursuing the treasure or you're like the guy who just stumbled upon it, when your eyes are opened and you see the value of God's kingdom, when you realize the value of, the, of knowing Jesus and becoming part of God's family, you realize that, that God's kingdom is a treasure worth giving up everything for. Look at the way that both of these men responded. Verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. In both of these parables, the man who finds the treasure gives up everything to get it. Why? Because he realizes the value of what's in front of him, right? This is not a, like, oh, it's a tough exchange. I'm not really sure. It was like, it's a no-brainer, right? It's an obvious choice. There is literally nothing more valuable than being a part of God's kingdom. Do you believe that? There's nothing more valuable than your relationship with Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, there is a, what I would say is, is one of the sadder stories in, in Scripture. It's about a rich young man who comes to Jesus and he wants to know what he needs to do to have eternal life, right? And so he comes to him and he asks him, and, and many of you are probably familiar with the story, but after a dialogue with this man, Jesus exposes his heart and he tells him, he says, to go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then come and follow me, Right? text says in Mark chapter 10, verse 22, that disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You see, the rich young man, he wanted eternal life, right? That's what he came to Jesus for. He, he wanted that. He saw the value of having eternal life. He wanted to be part of God's kingdom. But the problem and what Jesus exposed in this man is that it turns out there was something that he valued more. There was something that he placed a higher value on. Now you contrast that response to what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 8, after, after Paul is done describing all of his, his accolades and all of his accomplishments, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says that, that everything is like rubbish when compared to the incomparable value of knowing Jesus. Nothing even comes close to the value of having a relationship 
with Jesus. Let me see if I can illustrate this point. Uh, this is a, a picture uh, of a balance scale. I, I, I asked around to a few people if anybody had one of these. Apparently, you don't keep these in your homes anymore. Um, so I had to find a little clip art picture here of it. And the way a balance scale works is if you place an item on one side of the scale, right, it just tips to that side, right? So you know that this weighs more than, than this. Make sense? And so then if you add something to the other side, if it's heavier, it'll go like this, right? And if they're the same weight, they, they kind of like do this, and they kind of level out. Make sense? That's, that's what a balance scale does. Okay, so now imagine for a moment, just picture for a moment, that this, this stage is a giant balance scale. And I'm standing in the middle, so I'm pretty safe. Okay, I'm standing over here. What if over here, over here, we begin to place all of the wonderful things that, that, that life here on earth can offer? You know, things like family. It's a good thing, right? Whew, that's valuable. Right? Friends. Right? A home. Maybe a vacation home. A car. Maybe a Ferrari. Uh, you guys know that joke, right? I've told my wife, someday, someday, I'm going to have a Ferrari. It might be a Matchbox, but it's gonna, I'm going to own a Ferrari, okay? So, aren't they a cool car? Okay, anyway, I'm, I'm off track. So, you've got all these good things, right? You've got family, boats, vacations, maybe a healthy bank account. It's just like, wonderful things. Things that we value. They're great. Do we understand... Do we understand that that's all so good, it's so good, it's so good, it's valuable, it's valuable. If I were to place one thing over here, one thing, being a part of God's kingdom, do you understand that the second that I drop that thing into this side of the, of the balance, right, what's going to happen? Right? I mean, it's like instantaneously, everything over there is rubbish. It's gone. It's thrown. It's up. Like, you better not be sitting over there because you're going to get launched. Like, this thing is so much more valuable than all of that. Do we get that? Do we get that? There's literally nothing. Try to think of it. Try to come up with something that you could add to that that is more valuable than that, and you cannot do it. There is nothing more valuable than being part of God's kingdom. And it's not, it's not to say that those things aren't good, right? Are we saying that family and friends and all these things are not things that we should value? Well, obviously not. God wants you to value your spouse and your children and your Christian family and your friends. Of course, they're priceless treasures. They really are. But in comparison with a relationship with God, they're nothing. You're like, no, you can't say that, Chris. I can say that because Jesus says that, right? There's nothing. The point of the whole parable is that there's nothing more valuable than being in God's kingdom. And being in God's kingdom is worth giving up everything for. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Of me. Is Jesus saying that we shouldn't love our moms and dads? I mean, come on, right? Of course not. Is Jesus saying we shouldn't love our sons and daughters? No, of course, love them, 
serve them, value them. But Jesus is making it pretty clear here that we must not love people, we must not love things more than we love Him. Amen? There is nothing more valuable than being in God's kingdom, and being in God's kingdom is worth giving up everything for. Have you been able to say that on your own yet? Good. So let me ask you a question. Is that how you view your relationship with Jesus? He's meddling, right? Is knowing Jesus and being part of his kingdom the thing that you value the most? Or are there things that we still hold to be more precious? Things that we value more than our relationship with God? If so, if so, and I believe this is a thing that we all struggle with. True? You struggle with that? I do. The point today isn't for you to hang your head in defeat, walk out of here defeated, in sorrow, like the rich young man in Mark chapter 10. That's not what we're after here. The goal is for us to see the incomparable value of being in God's kingdom. That's what Jesus would have wanted for that rich young man. Not to walk away sorrowful, but to have his eyes opened. So how do we get there? How do we get to the place where we value nothing more than our relationship with Jesus? I mean, do we need to sit down and, and try to muster up more love for him? I, I love him more. I do. I love him more. Is that how we do it? Is that how you do it in relationships with your spouse or your children? I'm going to love Jen more. I, 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 I love her more. Right? I've I got to convince myself. Do we need to build some sort of a case for why we should love them more? Is that how we do it? We've got to build a stronger case in our minds. Listen, the answer, the answer is both simple, I believe, and, and also difficult. Simple and yet not easy. How do we get to the point where we value nothing more than our relationship with Jesus? The answer is by getting to know Him. The answer is by getting to know Him. Because the more you know Jesus, the more you realize His incomparable value. If all you've done is, is, is read a story and said, oh, that's Jesus, you don't know him? Then what I've just set up here, it, like, it doesn't make sense to me. But the more you get to know him, the more you love him, and the more you realize how valuable a relationship with Jesus truly is. So what do we do? We need to spend time with him, right? We need to talk with him. Just like you'd have a relationship with somebody else. Talk with Jesus. Listen to him as he speaks to you through his spirit. And you're like, I don't know how to do that. Practice. 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 Sit quietly in his presence and ask him to speak to you. You don't think that's a prayer that God wants to honor? He does. And he speaks to us through his spirit. He speaks to us through his word. Spend time in his word. And not just so you can check it off your daily to-do list. Although, I've got to be honest, I don't know if this is a, a, a risky thing for your pastor to confess. I literally have time in the word on my daily to-do list. Like, it's, it's there. But I don't just do it so I can check it off. I do it because I want to spend time with him and get to know him better and grow in my love and relationship with 
Jesus. The more we know Him, the more we value Him. I've been reading through the, uh, the cl- Christian classic book uh, by Brother Lawrence uh, titled The Practice of the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence was a Carmelite monk from uh, France who lived in the 1600s. And he made it his aim, he made it his goal to continually be aware of God's presence. And as he continued to uh, practice this, as he, as he continued to walk around and constantly tr- try to remain in a place of constant communion with God, talking to God whether he was in a Bible study or in prayer or, or doing the dishes, you know, he, he focused on being aware of God's presence and communing with him. And as he practiced this, this, uh, this awareness of God, he got to the point where he said it would be difficult, it would be di- difficult for him not to be aware of God's presence. He got to a point where he was like, it's, it's, I can't even imagine not being aware of God's presence. He said uh, in his book, he said, I have come to a state in which it would be as little possible for me to not think of God as it was hard to discipline myself to it at the beginning. It wasn't easy at first. It's simple, and yet it's not easy. Right? Practice. In other words, we need to continually, every time we think of Him, Say like, wow, I really, I'm just thinking of you again, God. And it, wow, it's probably been an hour since I last thought of you. Like, wow, would you help me to think of you more frequently in the next hour? You know? And it's not a matter of beating yourself up because you forgot to think of him. It's just like, thank you for the grace that you reminded me of your presence again. And we continue. And eventually you find yourself talking with him through all the mundane and the serious and the sacred acts of life. And all of a sudden, every moment becomes sacred. Right? Because you're in the presence of God. And the reality is you're already there. You're just not aware of it. Throughout the book, Brother Lawrence um, has letters that he wrote to different people. And uh, he continues others to, uh, to, he urges others to, to continually practice this, this, this uh, discipline of thinking about and being aware of the presence of God. And he says in one of his letters, I love this, he says, you will tell me that I'm always saying the same thing. And by the way, when I was reading the book, I was like, he says the same thing over and over and over again. And I finally get to this section of the book and he says, you will tell me that I'm always saying the same thing. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he says, it's true. It's true. For this is the best and easiest method I know. And since I use no other, I advise all the world to do it. It was such a blessing in his life. He says, I want everybody to experience this. We must know God before we can love him. To know God, we must often think of him. Powerful. The more you know Jesus, the more you realize his incomparable value. There is nothing more valuable than being in God's kingdom. And being in God's kingdom is worth giving up everything for. One final Uh, observation from these parables. I want you to notice what the parable doesn't say. It does not say that, quote, with heavy and burdened hearts, they reluctantly sold all they had to get the treasure. I guess I got to do it. What, What other choice do I have? You know, I surrender. 
No, it says that in his joy, joyfully, he goes and he sells all that he has. He sold everything joyfully to get the treasure. Why? Because he knew there was nothing more valuable. This is a great deal. And so is that treasure of knowing God and being a part of his kingdom. That's the point that Jesus is making in these parables. Together, there is nothing more valuable than being in God's kingdom. We're going to have to do this a lot. Being in God's kingdom is worth giving up everything for. Right? Now you might be sitting here thinking, oh man, what might God ask of me if I choose to follow him? And all of a sudden, you have all these what-if scenarios running through your mind. The point of the parable is that whatever God asks of me, it's worth it to be in a relationship with Him. In Mark chapter 10, again, the story of the rich young man, as he walks away sad, and after this happens, Peter says to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. We've left everything and followed you. And Jesus replied, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. We like to leave that part out. (laughs) With persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. You see, being in God's kingdom and having a relationship with God, the God of the universe, is worth giving up everything for. And some of you are still wondering, does that mean that we should get rid of everything we have? Do I need to go and sell everything I have, give it to the poor, and follow Jesus? If that's what he asks of you, Am I saying he's asking that of you? I don't know what he's asking of you. It's a heart issue, isn't it? We need to be willing to do anything or give up anything that God asks us to because our relationship with him is the most valuable thing. Amen? But what if he asked me to share my faith with someone and then they laugh at me and they think I'm crazy and my reputation's ruined? It's worth giving up your reputation. What if he asked me to move across the country? Or worse, what if he asked me to move across the world? Be honest, somebody in this room has had that fear. Like, I want to follow Jesus as long as he doesn't ask me to move to, you name it, Africa or South America or, you know, Canada or, you know. (laughs) You really don't want to move? What? We've all thought that, right? And why do we think those things? Because we feel like we, would, we wouldn't be safe. We wouldn't be secure. We're comfortable here. We know here. But listen, it's worth giving up your sense of security, isn't it? What if he asked me to trust him with my children, to trust him with my wife, to trust him with my family? It's worth giving up your sense of control. You don't have as much control over those things as you think you do. And besides, can we just state the obvious? That God loves them more than, he, than you do? 
He loves them more than you do. And he's in the business of bringing families together, isn't he? You can trust him with your family. There is nothing more valuable than being in God's kingdom. And being in God's kingdom is worth giving up everything for. I'll close with this. How many of you are familiar with the story of of Jim Elliott? Anybody familiar with Jim Elliott? Lots of hands. Good. For those of you who are not, Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador in the 1950s. Jim, along with four other missionaries, uh, was killed by the very people that they had gone to reach for Christ. And I read a biography about Jim's life that included several entries uh, from his journal, as well as letters that he wrote to his friends and his family and to his, his wife Elizabeth, his girlfriend at, at the time of some of those entries. And Jim Elliott's greatest desire was to know God. His greatest desire was to know God. He understood that a relationship with God is the most valuable thing in the world. And he understood that knowing God was something worth giving up everything for, even if it meant his life. Jim Elliott wrote the following lines in his journal while he was still in college. He wrote these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Just let those words sink in, right? What an exchange. All the things that you want to try to protect, you can't keep anyway, right? But what's being offered in front of you is something of immeasurable value. A relationship with Jesus Christ. An eternal gift that can never, ever be taken away from you. And Jim Elliott held nothing back from the Lord. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea what God might ask of you. I have no idea what He might call you to do. But according to Jesus, no matter what it is, it is well, well worth it. And one last time, just in case you haven't already memorized it, there is nothing more valuable than being in God's kingdom. And being in God's kingdom is worth giving up everything for. For those of you who are already part of God's kingdom, I want to urge you to continue to practice living with an awareness of His presence. Let's grow in our knowledge of Him, in our love for Him. Let's grow in our commitment to follow Him wherever He leads us. And for those of you who are not already part of God's kingdom, whether you're somebody who, maybe you're here today because you are seeking the truth. Maybe you're like the merchant that was searching for fine pearls. My prayer is that your eyes were open today that you see Jesus for who He is, the most valuable treasure in the world. Or maybe you weren't searching for the truth. Maybe your, your mom or your, your grandma dragged you here today. You know? You weren't searching for the truth, but the truth found you. And your eyes, your ears have been opened today, and you understand it. And like Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let Him hear. And you're saying, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. I want to urge you today to pray to Him to confess your sins and invite Him to be your Lord, to be your Savior. Commit yourself to follow Him wherever He would lead you. Do that today. And if you have questions, please, please come and talk with me 
after the service. Come and talk to somebody else here after the service. And, and let's, let's talk about what it would look like for you to make the decision to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this valuable treasure that is your word. Thank you so much that you've provided these words of Jesus pointing us to the most valuable treasure that is him. Through your son Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through Jesus, we are invited to be part of your eternal kingdom. What a gift. What a treasure. God, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters in this room who know you. I pray that, that, that we would be more committed to your kingdom. More committed to the things that you're calling us to. That we would recognize that you are the most valuable valuable treasure in our lives. And for those who don't know you, God, I pray that today their ears have been opened, that they will receive the truth of your word today and enter into an eternal relationship with you through your son. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.